Are you glad to see somebody join the church? What a blessing that is. Anybody know where we're at this morning? What book are we in? Matthew. What chapter are we in? Chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are in the third week of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaking to his disciples. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning to the book of Matthew chapter number 5. And it will be on the screen in just a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. And uh, we're going to read this this morning. And I'll say this, that uh, uh, for the last few weeks the Lord laid this on my heart and I knew that this section of Scripture is coming, right? Because, um, and the wonderful thing about expository preaching, for anybody that don't know expository preaching, is going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And uh, sometimes you get to some difficult passages, amen? But you know what the Bible says? That all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable Amen. And it says that the man of God, that the Christian may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And so Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Let's stand and honor the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17. We're going to read down to verse 30, so just bear with me this morning. It's a little, little more lengthy of a passage than we've been, been having. If you're there, please say amen for me. Matthew chapter 5 verse number 17. Jesus speaking says this, he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now that's very important, remember that. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily or surely I say unto thee that thou shalt no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. 
for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and Lord, we thank you for the blessing that is to be here today. And God, I thank you for each one that's gathered here in your name this morning. And God, we're here for your glory. Lord, we're not here to be seen and we're not here to be heard singing or heard preaching. But God, uh, I'm here this morning to point straight back to you. And Lord, as we go into the, the word this morning, God, I just pray that people would, would just open their minds and open their hearts, Lord, to hear what you would have to say to them this morning. And God, as we, as we uh, navigate this, this difficult passage, God, I just pray that you would help and that you would put your uh, special anointing on it from the pulpit to the pew, God, that, that we would see what you're, you're saying here and that we would understand with understanding like we've never had. And God, as this goes out, Lord, to the folks uh, that listen to it later on the internet, I just pray that it would bless them and that the Holy Spirit would meet them where they're at as well. God, bless this time in your word. Use me as your vessel. Give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you may understand why this is a difficult passage. Would you say amen to that? But as I said, it's, it's the Bible. And my pastor, uh, former pastor, Brother Clayton Lee, he said this to me, and I told somebody about it this morning. He said two things. He said three things, and I can't remember what the third one is, so it must not have been that important. But he said, avoid no subject and fear no reaction. Amen? We get to this section of Scripture. Again, Jesus, his audience is his disciples. He is directly speaking to the twelve that he has gathered, that he has called from their nets and from the tax table and, and from various places. And he's took them up to the mount on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And he has set them down and he has begun to speak these things to them and, and give them this great sermon. Now, no doubt, as I've said in the previous two weeks, lost people overheard this, but this is directed at his disciples and at the saved people. And at this time, these, these men that he called, they were all Jewish men, and they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. See, when Jesus showed up on the scene, it wasn't that he just showed up out of the blue and, and, and he said, hey, I've got to change a plan. Actually, what happened is that Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection were predicted and were pro prophesied thousands of years before Jesus even showed up uh, in that Bethlehem manger that we all know about. And so the, his disciples, even the most uh, simple of men, these men were fishermen, these men were, were just hard laborers, if you will, and even the simplest Jewish people were looking for the Messiah to come. But the thing about it is, is they were not just looking for a Messiah to come and do what Jesus did. They were looking for somebody that came and that was a great military leader. Somebody that would, that would be a king and that, that would gather an army and would fight the Romans and, and, and vanquish them. And, and the, he would lead the Jewish people, God's chosen people, into a, what they would say a permanent state of victory where they would never be uh, taken over again. And these men knew the law. And they thought that what would happen is that this great military leader would come. And that he would do away with the law. And he would look at these people and say, hey, you're mine now. And, and by the way, you don't have to do what the law says anymore. Now when I refer to the law, and we're about to get more in-depth in on this in just a minute. We're referring to the Old Testament law. Most of you at least know a, a small portion of it. Amen? Most of you know in Exodus chapter 20, the law of God, the commandments of God, if you will. 
but we know that there was more to it than Ten Commandments. So we're actually, get this, 613 laws in the Mosaic law that, that God gave. Now, could you imagine trying to live your life every day and make sure that you didn't break one of 613 laws? Wouldn't that be fun? How many of you break like, like a, a regular law, like a, a law that, that you know, the, the state puts on you? Uh, and there's thousands of them, right? And some of them are kind of silly. Would you agree with that? Tanner, what, what law do you break? Do you speed? Is that what it is? Just like Sister Yvonne over here from last week. Sister, I hadn't forgot that. We sometimes break the law, and, and, and you know, most of the time, at least, uh, I hope... You don't get caught doing it because if you break the law, then there's, there's some repercussions, right? I mean, some of them may not be real serious. You may not go to jail. You may just get a ticket. You may just, you, you may just get reprimanded by the police officer, whatever the situation is. But every day, these people live their lives, including these fishermen, and they say, man, these 613 laws, I've got to make sure that I don't do these because if I do, God's not pleased. And it was burdensome. And it was a hard life to live. And, and, and obviously, I mean, they broke the laws that nobody was perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. And so they broke these laws. They messed up. But there was a group of people, the scribes and the Pharisees, that the Scripture refers to, that were pretty good at keeping the law. And they lived a very, a very strict life, a life that was just, just super strict. And they would watch where they went. And, and what they would do is they would actually look down on other people that were not able to keep the law as good as they were. They would look down on these people. And so Jesus says in this, and I'm going to read it just a few verses at a time. So just bear with me. We'll get through this this morning. Jesus says this in verse 17, now that I've given you the background. He said, think not. Then I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus says that, that if you're looking for a guy that's going to just stand up and say, you know what, you don't have to do, do these, these things anymore, that, that's not me. And what Jesus is doing here is, is Jesus knew that in the following verses, in the following statements that he's about to make, he's actually about to take the law of Moses. We're going to look at that and unpack it in its, in, in as much as we can this morning. And, and then he's going to say, Moses said this, but, but I say to you this. Now Jesus never contradicts the law of God. You know why? Because if God said it in the Old Testament, if God said, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not do whatever, then that stands forever. Would you say amen to that? That the Word of God stands forever. That, that God has never backed up on one thing that He's ever said. God has never said, Well, I told you that then, and, and you know now I'm not so sure about it, so, so it's okay now. That's just not how God works. So Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. Now what does that mean? What does the word fulfill? So in the Old Testament, we know that the Old Testament law, if you broke one of the commandments of the Old Testament, you had to do something. There, there had to be payment for your sin. And that, that, that payment was usually in the form of a sacrifice. It could have been a goat. It could have been a dove. It could have been a number of things, maybe some money, whatever. The law prescribed what you had to give. But we all know, and, and these guys didn't understand it quite like we do, that Jesus Himself would be the ultimate sacrifice. That Jesus Himself came to fulfill where no lamb, the blood of a lamb could not fulfill. 
the blood of a bull or a goat or a turtle dove or whatever it may have been. It couldn't fulfill like Jesus was able to fulfill. Amen? And so Jesus said that I am come to fulfill. Verse 18, For verily I say, surely, he says, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. Now we don't use these words, do we? Jot and tittle. Now, you know, I don't normally, I bet Joanna does, but nobody else in the congregation without a doubt uses these words. What a jot or a tittle is. What Jesus is saying here, I'm going I'm to just give it to you plain this morning. That's all I know how to do. Is he says, not one stroke of the pen or one punctuation mark, if you will. That's basically what a jot or a tittle is. There's the smallest mark. Shall, shall pass it, nothing. Whatever God says, wherever God put a comma, that comma is going to take place. Wherever God stroked his pen, that is what is going to happen. Jesus said, I'm not destroying that. I'm fulfilling that. Would you say amen that he did a good job in that? So he lays this groundwork. And he's, he's, he's actually getting and alluding to what he's going to get into. And that's what the depth of this sermon is. He says, I didn't come so that you could just do whatever you wanted to. I didn't come so that you would have to quit following the commandments. I came to fulfill this. And so we see verse number 21. And here's, the, here's what I would call the meat of the sermon. Verse 21, he says these words. And he's, this is said twice in the section that uh, the scripture that I read. He said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shall not kill. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Has anybody ever heard those words? Does that ring a bell? If it does, that's because Exodus chapter 20, verse number 13 says, Thou shalt not kill, right? That's the law of Moses. He went up onto the mountain and God gave him the law, and so thou shalt not kill. And he said that you've heard that all your life. These, these Jewish men that he's speaking to, I want you to get this, I want you to understand this, that some of these fishermen that Jesus were talking to, was talking to at this time, they may not have been able to read. They might have not been literate. That's why he said, you have heard. Okay, you understand that? These guys may not have been able to read the law, so Jesus said, somebody told you somewhere down the line, it may have been a priest, it may have been your parents, it may have been whoever, the rabbi down at the synagogue, that they've told you that you should not kill. That's great, right? I mean, that's, if, if there's ever a good piece of advice in the Bible, don't kill people, okay? That's pretty simple. I think we get that. You know, I don't, I don't think that I'm standing here this morning looking at any murderers. At least I hope I'm not, right? I mean, nobody's going to jump up and say, you know what, I've murdered six people and, and I've broken this and, man, I, I feel bad about it. Most people are going to say, I would never murder anybody. That, that's, just, that's just terrible. That, horrible people murder, right? Amen. That's what horrible people do. None of us in our right mind would murder anybody. So all the disciples said, yep, Jesus, gotcha. Check that box off. Never murdered anybody. Move on. Go ahead. Verse 22, Jesus said, you've heard that of old time. But Jesus says, but I say unto you. This statement that Jesus made was, was an earth-shaking statement for this reason. Because God Himself said, thou shalt not kill to Moses. All right, that's, that's how we got that. That came from God. 
So in, in order for Jesus to say, but I say unto you, he is standing in front of his disciples, or sitting actually, essentially making the statement, I am God. And he is God. But to these disciples, this, this could have been just, just mind-boggling to them that somebody would sit there and, and take on the authority of God and make a statement. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now as I said, nobody in here, at least I think, has ever murdered anybody or ever killed anybody. We wouldn't, we wouldn't imagine that. Couldn't, couldn't even think of it. But let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been angry with somebody? Everybody, right? I mean, if you, if, you don't, if you don't agree that you've ever been angry with somebody, you're lying. I mean, anger, it, it's, it's natural inside of us. Anger is not something that you have to teach. Everybody knows how to be angry, right? You know where you can see anger? You can see anger in the face of a, of a three-month-old baby that you didn't give them what they wanted. You didn't give them the right toy or you didn't give them their pacifier. And they're angry at you, right? Anger is, is something that we inherited because we come from Adam. And he says that it's kind of, kind of a, a, and I don't know if it's a play on words, but he says, if you've ever been angry with your brother without cause... So I want to say this, that sometimes there's a, there's a right time to be angry. We can be angry about things, amen? And it be okay. But see, the thing about it is, is that most of the time, that, that this thing called murder, thou shalt not kill, it begins with anger. That sin, if you, if, you, if you take everything away from it and you find the root of where a murder comes from or, or a, if somebody killing somebody comes from, it's probably going to be that somebody's angry. Now somebody may not be directly angry. I've heard plenty of stories and, and, and some of you, you, how many of you like to watch those cop shows, you know, those police procedurals and, and we love them when they're true stories, right? And so we, we, we like those true stories and we watch those crime shows and we've all seen that sometimes people kill other people just because they just get mad and they just fly off the handle and they just do it. And then sometimes they think about it for a while and it builds up within them and, and they think about it and then they do it and, and so you have premeditated murder. And you say, I'm not a murderer, what are you talking about? But the root of all that is something that we all experience. Some more often than others. Some people are angry every day, right? Some people are just angry once in a while. But we've all experienced it. So Jesus, he really says this, and, and, and there's a word in here that we need to pay attention to. It says, with your brother. Well, that, that don't apply to me. I don't have a brother. I got a sister. I can be angry with her. Again, not what the Bible means. The Bible's saying here, he's uh, taking it a step further and saying your brother, somebody that is like you, that could, that could be a Christian brother. But if you read into the Greek, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, this could actually mean just anybody around you, actually sort of the same concept as love your neighbor as yourself. You ever heard that? He says don't be angry with those around you. 
He says because there can be some consequences, some repercussions. And then he goes on to say that, that if don't call your brother Raka. Again, not a word. And actually, that's a Greek word right there. And it's not interpreted because when the, the Bible was written, they, they weren't really sure what it even meant. And the best interpretation that we can get of this it, that I have been able to find is, is to call somebody, get this, and I wrote this down verbatim, an empty-headed idiot. So if you ever look at anybody and you say, you know what, there, there must not be any brains in your head, you're an idiot, then that's basically saying raka to them. You ever thought that about anybody? Nobody will admit to that, but you have. Now we're getting, to, now we're getting some people to understand, and man, maybe I've got anger problems and I just didn't know it. Well, I'm not here to be a psychologist this morning and identify your problems. I'm here to tell you that Jesus says this. That you may not kill people, he said, but you experience the root of that. Let's go on down to verse number 23 and read what he says. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember that your brother hath ought against thee, that is to say that, that if you remember when you, when you go to pray, when you go to ask forgiveness, that's what this is talking about. If you remember that somebody has a problem with you, you need to go straighten it out. Now this is, where we're, this is where the rubber meets the road right here. See, there's a, there's a lot of people that are at odds with each other. And it's not just lost people, it's saved people. Would you say amen to that? This is, this is very serious, and, and, and I want it to be serious, okay? This is a very serious moment in this message. What he's talking about here is that he's talking to Jews, remember that. So what he's talking about, he's talking about your gift. He's talking about the sacrifice that you bring. So picture in your mind this idea right here. I'm going I'm to lay this scenario out for you. You know that you've committed a sin, whatever that sin may be. And the payment for that sin is one lamb. Pretty bad sin. And you go, you go out to the field and you get your lamb and you, you put a, a, a rope around its neck and you're leading it to the, to the, to the altar. We, well, lamb, you know, time's up. We've got to go to the temple. I've messed up. And you're leading that lamb to the temple. And what that lamb do? It didn't do anything, did it? It's just living its life. And you get there to the altar and, and you're standing in line because these sacrifices, remember, imagine this. What if every time you messed up you had to come to church and tell me about it? Oh, man, wouldn't that be bad? There would be a line, wouldn't there? I mean, would, would there be a line? And y'all think, I ain't going to stand in that line. Well, I'm glad the Lord done away with that, that part, aren't you? And we can just go straight to Him. So imagine you're standing in line, and, and you've got your lamb, and, and you know, you think, well, you know, you've taken a number, and you're three back, and oh, now I'm two back, and now I'm one back, and you get up, and then it hits you. Daniel's mad at me. I'm a, I said something to Daniel last week that I shouldn't have, and now I know that Daniel's mad at me. And I'm not mad at him, but he's mad at me. And what are you supposed to do? What do you do in that situation? You've been standing in line for 30, 45 minutes, and you've got your lamb, and, and you've, you're there at the temple, and the priest is waiting on you. He's looking at What are you waiting on? And you think, Jesus said, you know what you need to do? You need to leave your sacrifice at the altar. Just hand the rope to the priest and say, hold this for a second. I'll be back. Now that's pretty extreme, isn't it? 
You, can you imagine how extreme that would be in the Jewish temple if you leave your sacrifice at the altar and say, hey, Mr. Priest, hold this for a second. I've got to take care of something. Jesus said we've got to do that. That we've got to go and we've got to be reconciled. Even if I don't have a problem with him, if he's got a problem with me, then we need to take care of that. Why is that? Why, why do we need to do that? What, what's up with that? Why would Jesus ever ask us to do anything of that? Because we are people of forgiveness. We are people that not only give forgiveness, but we should seek to be forgiven. Amen? Because you say, well, why would I do that? Why should, why should I care if anybody's mad at me? That's their problem. No, that's your problem. If you go to them and they won't, they won't reconcile with you, then it's their problem. Amen? But you should do what you can to try to reconcile with people, to try to have people forgive you, to try to live as what the Apostle Paul said, just a peaceable life with those around you. Because you should have a clean testimony. And then when Daniel forgives me and I go to him and I explain what happened and I say, Daniel, I'm sorry that I said that about your hair. You knew that was coming, didn't you, brother? I love you, Daniel. And Daniel says, you know what? I forgive you. And, and I know that, that, that and, and, you know, I had, Daniel said, well, I, I just forgot about that. I hadn't even been thinking about it until you brought it up. But I forgive you. Then, you go back to the altar. You may have to wait in line a little bit longer. You get your lamb again. And then, you make the sacrifice. Jesus is very serious about this. He says that he takes anger very seriously. And then he goes on to say this, and, and I'm going to read just a, 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 another couple of verses. He says, verse 25, agree with your adversary while you're in the way with him, or while you're walking with him, lest at any time he delivers you to the judge. What Jesus is saying there, I'm going to make it real simple, is get right with people while you have the opportunity to do so. I've, I've heard stories, and I may have mentioned this uh, from this pulpit, but I'll, I'll give you a quick example of that. I, I knew a man, a, 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 what I, a, a fine man, and he was a deacon in a church. Well, he must have been a religious guy, right? That's what you're thinking. He was like a, he was like a, a, a guy that read the Bible and prayed, and he did, taught Sunday school. And uh, he was laying on his deathbed. He was dying. And when you're laying on your deathbed, I think that when you're laying there looking at the ceiling, it, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit. Wouldn't you agree with that statement? kind of makes you think about your life decisions in a little bit of, of different light. And again, this man uh, was, was a professed Christian. I have no reason to believe he wasn't. But see, the thing about it was, is, is he was laying there dying, knew that he just had maybe a few days, a few hours to live, and, and his time was drawing short. And he did something that, that I've heard about before. He picked up the phone, and he started calling people. And, and one of the people that he called was actually his grandson. And he said, hey, come to my bedside. I need to talk to you. It wasn't, hey, I'm leaving you the farm, or here's my truck keys. It was, we've had a problem for several years. And I want to get this right before I go to meet God. Now, 
I'm glad he made that right, aren't you? I mean, that, that's a great thing. I, I'm not, I'm not throw, saying that he shouldn't have. He, he did what was right, okay? But the thing about it is, is, is the grandson was in his 30s. This wasn't like a, you know, an 8-year-old kid. And he'd had years and years and years and years to make this thing right. And he didn't take the opportunity till the last minute. Agree with your adversary while you're still able to. Seek forgiveness while you still can. Forgive people while you still can. Anger is a very serious thing, amen? And we should never stay angry at someone for any length of time. Just, just as a little side note, actually science has proven that staying angry will shorten your life. I mean, it's that serious, people. He says, agree with your adversary while you still can. Jesus, this is some pretty serious stuff, but it needs to be preached. Amen. Will you all say amen to that? And he goes on to say this after he talks about murder and anger. And then he goes on and, and verse number 27, and you think, well, surely it's, it's about to get better from here. Well, we've got to talk about some other stuff. Verse number 27, Jesus says this statement again. He says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So Jesus is directly quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse number 14. So he's went from verse 13 to verse 14. And these guys, they knew that. They knew you shouldn't commit adultery. But Jesus said in verse 28, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now nobody wants to talk about this, but we got to talk about this. Amen. See, we, we have we live in a world, and how do I say this without without offending people, that that is has just been turned upside down with sexuality. Amen. You ever turn on your TV and, and flip through the commercials and, and, and what do you see in those commercials? It, it, a lot of times they're using it to sell products. It's just become a normal thing in society. And he says, he says the, the Old Testament, the commandments say you should not commit adultery. That what that means is this, in case you don't know what adultery is, I'm going to lay it out for you as according to the Bible. Adultery is this, if you are a married person and you go out on your spouse and you have relations with another person that is not your spouse, that is adultery, okay? According to the Bible. Would you say amen to that? And those disciples were probably sitting there saying, you know what, Jesus? Hadn't done that either. I must be good. Give another thumbs up, check another box off. Lord, I've not committed adultery, so I'm okay. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery, with her already in his heart. Now, I, I, this is my picture right here, okay? I'm, I'm thinking of the disciples sitting there with their heads held high. I've never committed adultery, Lord, and their chest stuck out. And then Jesus says that statement. If you've ever looked on a woman with lust, then you've already committed adultery. And you know what happened? Those disciples went like this. Amen! Or oh me, I don't know which one it is. I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand on that one, okay? That, that would be bad this morning. But there's a reason that Jesus said, 
to look on a woman with lust. And remember, he's speaking to a group of men here. He's talking about this, and, and what he's trying to get them to avoid is sexual sin. In our Wednesday night class, just, just this past week, we studied uh, David's sin with Bathsheba. Anybody ever heard of that section of Scripture? You know, I'll give you the quick rundown that, that David was, was, in his, was in his house one day, minding his own business, in his house, all right, in his own place, went outside on the roof, because back then, if you're the king, you could go hang out on the roof, and he went out and he saw this woman taking a bath, maybe on the next roof over. And I've heard, I've heard, you know, varying degrees of what people think about this. Some people say, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there in the middle of the day taking a bath. Some people say, well, you know, David should have been at war with his people. You know, it was the time for the kings to be at battle, and David shouldn't have even been there to start with. And you could argue either way, right? I mean, it probably wasn't a good idea for her to be out there taking a bath. He should have been somewhere else doing something. But the fact of the matter was, he was in that situation at that moment. And he looked at her, and then he went and got his servant. And he said, you know, he said, go get that woman and bring her to me. And we all know what happens next, that David actually ends up getting that woman pregnant. And then David takes it a step further and, and actually later has her husband murdered in battle. So he's, he's committed two of these sins, right? You think, well, David's a bad dude. David must have been an awful person. No, David was actually the man that the Bible says was after God's own heart. Wow. If David was a man after God's own heart, where does that put me? But you know what the root of the entire problem was? Is that David looked and then he lusted. Now this, this is serious and people don't want to hear this. But this is the Bible. What this word lust, you can, you, can, you can just put the word covet in there. Now David had two wives. I want you to understand that. David had two wives. He wasn't a single man. And he looks at this woman. Now the thing for David to do right then would have been this. He walks outside. He sees Bathsheba. He turns and walks the other way and puts it out of his mind. If you, now, if you accidentally see something that you shouldn't see, that's not a sin, okay? If you just happen upon something and there it is, and, and you immediately you know, flee from it and get away from it as quick as you can, then you haven't committed a sin, amen? But David didn't do that. A lot of people don't do that, amen? Especially in the, the day and time that we live, so many people, and men, and maybe even women, I don't know, I'm not a woman, but I know what men do sometimes, amen, is they look, and then they think. And then one thing leads to another, and this happens, and that happens. And later on, David has a, a, a broken family, a dead child, a split kingdom, an ugly spot on his testimony all because of this one thing that he did David could have just walked away David could have just said you know what uh, that woman shouldn't be doing that and maybe I'm going to send a messenger, messenger over there to tell her to put some clothes on somebody else might see her but he didn't he dwelt on it and he lusted 
And we're almost done here, and you think, man, I'm glad this is about over. But let's, let's read just a little bit further, and let, let's get to the, even the bottom of this problem. In verse 29, Jesus says these words. He said, and if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Whoa. That's, that's, that's man. For it is profitable for thee that, to have one of thy members, that one of your members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Cast it from thee. I'm going to tell you something that, that a preacher told me, a free will Baptist pastor, Brother Mike McCoy. A lot of you know him, right? A lot of you know Mike McCoy. He told me that a guy in Crossville took this literally, opened his Bible, and, and read this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 28 and 29, or 29 and 30, whatever that may be, and went and plucked his own eye out and cut his hand off. You think that's what Jesus meant? No. Not what he's saying here. I want you to get this, and, and I'm going to give you another Greek word. We, we talk, you say, preacher, why are you talking about Greek? Because that's what the Bible was written in, and sometimes we don't understand it until we get to the bottom of it. You see the word offend right there? If your eye offends you, or if your hand offends you, you know, people are offended by things, right? My hand's never offended me. I've never looked at my hand and said, I can't believe you did that. What are you thinking? That's not what he's talking about. This word offend in the Greek is the word scandalizo. Stumbling block. You can put it another, take it another step in interpretation to this. Here's the concept of the word offend, okay? And these guys knew that. They understood this. The word Scandalizo. Guess what, guess what word we get from that? Anybody? Scandal, right? Scandalizo. Offend. But what that means is this. It's like, it's like whatever sets off a trap. Think of a mouse trap. Everybody go with me. Think of mouse, mouse trap. I don't like mice. God, I hate mice. I'm a 200 and something pound grown man. And if I see a mouse, I'm going to start dancing and jumping and running and getting me out of there. I mean, it's as bad as if I see a snake. All right? The only kind of snake, good snake's a dead snake, right? The only kind of good mouse is a dead mouse, in my opinion. But we, what do we do? We try to catch these mice, right? We try to, you know, take them out. We don't want them in our house. And so we always, you know, we go down to the Walmart and we get some little Victor mouse traps and and uh, you got to be real careful when you set them, right? Or, or you'll, you'll, you'll mash your finger. I've done that several times. But what do we do? We don't just set the mousetrap and leave it there, do we? It's got a trigger, right? Every mousetrap or every kind of trap has some sort of trigger. When you're trying to catch something, something's got to trigger that catch. All right, I'm going somewhere with this. And... You know, growing up, we always put cheese on it. But I have found out that the way to catch mice is with peanut butter. You all know that, right? I mean, everybody gets that. You catch mice with peanut butter. And if you want to know another trick, see me after church. I got another one. But anyways, uh, so you put the peanut butter on there. And mice, they can't resist that peanut butter, right? They're, they're, they're creatures of opportunity. So they're just going through your house and they smell that peanut butter. They run to it. They, they try to get them some of that peanut butter and boom, dead. Caught. They're gone. Praise the Lord. Lacey screams and I go take them outside. 
That's how the end, that story ends. What Jesus is saying here, uh, here's, here's the, the moral of that story, is that, that if, if there is something in your life that entraps you, something that causes you to, to boom, get caught in the trap, stay away from that. Get as far away from that as you possibly can. If your eye is offending you, if, it's, if you're having a problem with visual things, you see something, stay away from where that's going to be. Amen? If a man has a problem looking at women, then he probably shouldn't go to the beach where all the women are running around in bikinis. Would you say amen to that statement? Oh me to that statement. It's true. If you have a problem, you, you just need to steer clear of it. And then he says, if your hand is offending you, if your hand's what's causing you to get entrapped, and, and I thought about this, you know, if you're, maybe, you're, maybe you like gambling, I don't know, and, and your hand likes to grab that slot machine and do this. If your hand's offending you, you probably shouldn't go to a casino, right? Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? That a lot of our problems... Not, not even adultery. He's, he's taking it a step further. He's saying that, that we a lot of times we, we lust after things or we covet things and that ends up getting us into trouble. I could not tell you the amount of stories that I, not just that I've heard of that I know personally people that have fallen into Satan's trap and, and, and they, they took the bait and they hit the stumbling block and, and something offended them and, and it ruined Basically their entire life, every aspect of their life was, was essentially destroyed. Now we know that, that anger is bad. We know that, that lust or, or covetousness is a bad thing. Amen. And Satan, what he'll do is he'll set the trap. He'll lay it out there and, and, and he'll put the bait on it. But it's up to you whether or not you take that bait or not. It's up to you whether you go there. It's up to you. Uh, even he'll set traps of anger. He'll, he'll tell you in your mind, you know, those, these people are saying these things about me. And you'll go to them and chew them out and bless them out and, and leave. And, and guess what? Satan wins. You lose. If you commit adultery or, or you, you do things of that nature, then guess what? Satan wins. You lose. This has been a very serious message, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you. This is not the type of message where people just come run into the altar because people are going to think, what have they done wrong? But let me, let me explain this to you, why Jesus said all these things, and, and I'll be done in, in five more minutes. Somebody set a timer. These things, you know, murder, uh, lust, Maybe, maybe stealing things. They're all outward things, right? I mean, they're, they're things that our body does. And they're bad, and, and you shouldn't do that. And, and I'm in no wise trying to give you a license to do anything. But here's Jesus' whole reason for saying, saying these things. This is the implication and the application of this sermon right here. Here it is. It's not about what you do. It's about where your heart is. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't commit murder if you didn't have that anger in your heart. You wouldn't commit adultery if that lust 
didn't manifest itself in your heart. You wouldn't do these things if your heart was where it needed to be. See, Jesus, the thing about the law is, is the law never really gets down to the heart. The law only covers what the body does. But Jesus came, and, and when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that we could be saved, Jesus came not, not to just, just to, to make sure that we don't you know, do bad things. Jesus came to change our hearts. Jesus came to make us new people. And he's looking at these disciples, and he said, Hey, he said, I didn't come to, to do away with the law. You, you shouldn't kill people. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't do these things. But Jesus said, the reason I came is to fulfill it and get your heart right. That's why he was here. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't come to do away with the law. And these guys, they didn't necessarily understand that. They didn't get it. But here's the thing about it this morning. And here's the bottom line. If, if you're having problems with anger... Get your heart right. If you're, if you're coveting things, if you're, if you're having problems with lust, get your heart right. We struggle with these things. Sometimes I struggle with things. You ever struggle with things? Anybody in here besides me ever deal with these things? It may never come to adultery. It may never come down to you murdering somebody. But Jesus said, what about the anger? What about the lust? What about the condition of your heart? Let's pray. God, as, as we come before you this morning, God, this, is, this has been a, a, just a very serious message. But Lord, it, it's something that I think needs to be said to everyone. And God, I just pray that, that, that these words, as feeble as they may have been, that they will find fertile ground. And the Lord, people would, would hear what you had to say this morning through your word and, and, and not what I had to say. And God, I just pray that you would touch people, Lord, that you would just change their hearts. And, and that, Lord, that whatever people may struggle with, God, that you would give them victory over that. You came to, to make us overcomers. And God, I just pray that you would move and have your way in this service. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit would do a great work. And Lord, we turn these things over to you. God, we trust you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.